0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a Wednesday night in Southern Orange County. Are you sure you're in the right place? Why are you here? It's Advent. It's a time to draw near to the Lord. It's a time to meditate upon that which is the most important thing of all. Our Lord Jesus, the gift of the Savior, God made man for us men and for our salvation. It's a time in which we draw closer to God and a time in which we consider prayer as well. Historically, prayer, fasting, and giving of alms. Tonight, prayer with an eye toward the one to whom we pray. There is no question more fundamental than prayer. To whom do you pray and what do you say? When the disciples went to Jesus to ask him about prayer, what did he say? Let's see if you can recall this from the scriptures. When you pray, pray in this way. O oh, all-knowing and unchanging God, who already knows what I'm going to pray for and has already made up his mind anyway. Amen. <laughs> no. Rather, when our Lord answers, he says, When you pray, pray in this way, Our Father. With these words, we are invited, as the Catechism teaches, to believe. To believe what? To believe that God is our true Father, and that we are his true children so that with all boldness and all confidence we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. It's one of the reasons why Luther advises us to begin and end every day with the sign of the cross, marking ourselves in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then praying the Our Father, because in those two words is all the gospel. Who would ever dream, who would ever dare to call the unknowable and incomprehensible God of the universe, Father? Perhaps we could claim him as Father only in the most generic sense, by virtue of his being our creator, but then he would only be a father in the same way that he's a father of chihuahuas and termites. Obviously, that's not what our Lord has in mind. Our Lord teaches us to call this unknowable, incomprehensible God of the universe, Father. In the prologue to John's Gospel, he writes, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Christ is that God at the Father's side who makes the Father known to us. Indeed, John's language here is fascinating. Jesus exegetes the Father, makes the Father's meaning and purpose known to us. That is to say that through Christ, the unknowable becomes knowable. The incomprehensible comprehensible, the unseen seen. When one of the disciples said to Jesus, show us the Father, he responded, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Thus all theology is in fact Christology, because there is no theos, no God to study, save for the one who is revealed in Christ. Only through the Son do we come to know the Father. And so too, only through the Son do we come to know that the Father is in fact our Father, a point that is almost too incredible to take in. To quote John once more, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. We, not chihuahuas, not termites, not even all people, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father is who God is. It's not a metaphor, it's not an analogy. Father is who God is, and that is true before anything was made that was made. God is Father from eternity precisely because God is also Son from eternity. The Father begets the Son, and the Son is begotten, and the Spirit proceeds, and this without beginning or end. Before all worlds, as the Nicene Creed states, God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one. That this same everlasting Father of the everlasting Son has now poured out His everlasting Spirit upon you and called you His own beloved children. That is precisely what causes John to marvel. Behold, what manner of love has been lavished upon us that we should be called children of he who made the heavens and the earth. And this same marvel, the same wonder, the same joy is truly ours to have every time we open our lips in prayer and say, Our Father, or even something so Simple as, Father, thank you. Dear Father, help. Father, praise be to you. Luther encourages this in the large catechism, these kinds of things to be on our lips all the time during the day so that we can remember who we are and whose we are. Often in the early church, the Lord's Prayer was taught only after baptism. How could you ever call God Father unless you have First, become God's child, being born from above by water and spirit, believing in his name. So, this evening, as we consider the Father, it is essential that we realize that we can know nothing of the Father apart from the Son. Jesus is, as the scriptures say, the express image of the invisible God. In him, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He is the word that reveals the Father's heart. He is the exegete that makes known the meaning of God. As we contemplate the gift of God's beloved Son, the coming celebration of Christmas, we contemplate how he was conceived in the womb, We contemplate that not only is Jesus himself the gift, but precisely because he reveals reveals to us the Father, the Father also must be considered part of this gift. Indeed, the fullness of it. And how does this Father love you? Precisely as Jesus does. And how does Jesus love you? Look to the manger and the cross, and you will see. He didn't become incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary for himself, but for us. He was not born in a lowly manger and into poverty for himself, but for us. He did not endure the pain and sorrow and futility of this fallen world for himself, but for us. He did not come to suffer injustice, to be spat upon, struck, scourged, mocked, and crucified for himself before us. There is no greater love than God. God is love. And there is no greater love than the Father giving his own precious Son and the Son laying down his own precious life for us. Because the Son reveals the Father to us, The true Christmas gift of the Son is also the true Christmas gift of the Father. The prophet Isaiah in our text for tonight reveals to us some of the tender conversation between the everlasting Father and his Son, our Lord. From the very first words, listen to me, O coastlands, we hear the Son beckoning, not just the Jews, but all nations, all peoples, to listen. When the son says, the Lord called me from the womb, he is, of course, referring to the father. There's no mention of any human father because there was none. But the son does say, from the body of my mother, he named my name. So some seven and a half centuries before Mary, we hear of Mary and of the virgin birth. And just as Isaiah prophesied, It would be God, the Father of the Everlasting Son, who would give the Everlasting Son his name, Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. As their dialogue goes back and forth, we hear a surprising thing. We hear the Son lament the apparent futility of his life and of his death. But we also hear In what, or rather in whom, he places his trust. Listen to his words. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Ever felt that way? Jesus too, apparently. But that's not the end of his meditation. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right that is, my just reward, is with the Lord, and my recompense, that is, my wage, is with my God. Our Lord Jesus saw what we see in this life, futility, frustration, working and laboring for such small benefit, working and laboring, largely in vain, spending strength and effort and time on what ultimately amounts to nothing, to vanity, meaninglessness. But rather than despair, the son entrusts his labors, futile as they look, into the hands of his father. Despite their apparent futility, My true reward and my true wage, he says, are with my Father. And that, dear friends, is a lesson that is foundational for all of our lives and for every one of our vocations. Though our labors in this life so often appear to be vain and futile, we must not despair, but rather believe that our efforts are indeed pleasing to God and precious in His sight. Indeed, that the true reward of our labors will come, even if not in this life, then after it, from our Father's gracious hand. We see the apparent futility of the cross transfigured into the salvation of the world. We see the apparent smallness of the manger in the middle of a Bethlehem night transfigured into the dawning of a new creation. We hear the Son pray candidly to the Father and also entrust himself fully to the Father. So good is this Father that our Lord Jesus entrusts himself entirely to him. Such is the goodness of the Father that Jesus gives to us, blotting out our iniquities and restoring us to the Father. He gives this everlasting Father to be our own. The ways of God are not our ways. His ways are better. He is more merciful, more patient, more kind, more good and more faithful to us than we could ever comprehend. He is our Father in a way that transcends all fatherhood and makes even the most excellent of earthly fathers appear like distracted older siblings babysitting for a time. Our true Father is our Heavenly Father, revealed to us in His heavenly Son, revealed to us in manger and cross, altar and pulpit, places lowly and despised. But these are the places where He reveals Himself to us and transfigures His glory. It is to this Father we pray, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has begotten Him from eternity. And He is our Father now, who has begotten us in time by water and the Spirit, but unto all eternity. And we are even now being conformed into the glorious image of His Son. First, to be crucified with Him, that we might then be glorified with Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.